Good morning, Wiggly Wigglers. Okay, um, we do mixed composting worms for your compost heap. Is that what you were um, looking to purchase? There we are. That's Rachel on the phone at Wiggly Wigglers. She's in charge of, well, she's in charge really, just about everything at Wiggly Wigglers. Now, this week's podcast, I thought it would be a really good idea just to give you a snapshot view of what's going on. So, it is half past nine on a Friday morning. So it's a relatively quiet time, but you can hear Hannah talking in the background to a customer. And on my right is Jodie. She's in charge of stock control. So I'm going to have a word with Jodie and see what she's up to. Oh, Joe, there's a lot of figures down there. Yeah. What's going on? Um, I'm just sorting out which plants are out of stock at the moment and making sure we've got enough to cover what orders are on the system. Um, One in particular is... Bilberry. We've got about 73 different native species, haven't we? Yeah. So there seems to be a relatively long list there. Is that the time of year? Um, yeah, because of the winter months, things take that, that bit longer to grow. Um, but um, things are looking up because in the next two weeks, hopefully, we'll have the majority of the plants in now. Come in the spring, they're, they're uh, picking up the growth. Um, and bilberry, the one that we've been waiting <laughs> ages for, um, what will is be bilberry? ready in a few weeks' time. <laughs> Has anyone seen any bilberry ever at Wiggly Wiggly? Uh, mm, once, <laughs> about four years ago. <laughs> You're exaggerating. Yeah, mm. just slightly. Okay, tell me about the bilberry. Uh, bilberry, um, the problem with it at the moment, well, the problem was that the, uh, the roots weren't growing quick enough because um, of the colder months. Um, but now that problem is sorted and we're just waiting for a bit more green on the top to come um, and maybe a few berries to show before we can send it out really because um, we don't want to send it too small but the roots are definitely much better than they were and um, what can you do with it once you've got it you can make pies it's my dad's favorite pie um, bilberry pie is it yep um, very so, good for you yeah, I've been trying to get hold of a few for him actually <laughs> <laughs> and now I will be able to so he can grow his own rather than uh, I think he gets someone in uh, Clifford where he goes shooting to get it up off the hills for him they go out there ah, with baskets right. and sort of you know scoop it off the tops of the berries ah right and you know what I'm going to say now I found my thrill on a bilberry hill <laughs> And I'm off over to Hannah. <laughs> right, tell me about your life, Hannah, because you're secretly an organic gardener. Yes, I am. And I go and see several different people a week and do their gardens for them. And do they then have to become organic with you? Um, <laughs> I don't force it on them. Right. But I sort of sneak it in quietly where I can. I see. So uh, Most people are pretty stood up for it anyway. Yeah. So I didn't have too many battles with them over it. And have you got any veggie patches that you're looking after? Um, yes, one of my old ladies has let me take over her vegetable patch. Um, right. She can't keep on top of it. So it's my own mini allotment this year because I don't have enough room at my own place. So Fantastic. So yeah. do you supply her with the vegetables or you? I supply me, but she has any she wants as well. So Sounds it, very... it works both ways, so I'm keeping it tidy for her and I get the vegetables out of it as well. Fantastic. So. What are you growing? 
I am growing beans at the moment, broad beans are in. I've got the onions in and garlic. Yep. Um, potatoes will be going in soon. Fantastic. Uh, so, yeah, it's all, all going on. And I don't know if I dare ask you this, but are you composting? Yes, I am. <laughs> what yeah. are you using? Uh, I've got a bokashi bin and a wormery. How do you get on with them? I love my bokashi bin. Do you? I really do, yeah, it's a brilliant thing. Um, then it goes in, and some of it goes straight into the ground, and some of it goes into my other composter. So, yep. Yeah, and your worms? My worms? Uh, they, they're getting on okay. I had oh. a small blip because I was concentrating on my bokashi bucket <laughs> so much, and they were slightly neglected for a few weeks. But Have you got um, any liquid out? Um, yeah, yeah, I've been using that. So Great. Yeah. Good. Right, I'm off now. I'm going to take you, listener, on a tour. I daren't go to near Joe because she hates the microphone. But no matter, come with me down the stairs. Ready? Oh, here we go. And I'm going to go outside... You'll probably hear the forklift and I'm going to go and find the worms so that I can explain to you where the worms are kept. This sound now is Dan on the forklift truck and he's picking all the orders this morning. So I'm going into the worm hole. Here I am. Just shut the door. You can probably hear the, the blowers going to keep the temperature okay. I'm going to go through this bit of the cool room into an even colder section and in here we keep the lobworms so the garden worms and the composting worms and also I can see wax worms now wax worms are fantastic bird feed they're quite expensive for what they you know for the amount but they are full of protein and they're the larvae of a wax moth so they're not actually a worm at all and now I'm coming back through into the mealworms and at the moment in stock we've probably got let me see uh, 20, 40, 60, 80 100 probably about between half and three quarters of a ton of mealworms and they're coming in every week ready to be turned around by Noel, who's packing them, and off they go out for bird food. I'm just going to zip now down to dispatch to follow the story through and hopefully find, find Noel packing up mealworms because that's mostly what, what orders are going out today on Friday. So I'm just coming in the shed to find Noel and she will explain to you, dear listener, what she's doing. Morning, Noel. Good morning, Heather. Are I'm you going to turn that radio yes, off? Yes, I am. <laughs> it's a, a nuisance. Explain to me, Noel, what's going on in here. I am doing some mealworms in tubs of 40 grams, yep. which are sent out to the customers yep. every day. And some days I do about... Well, the last few days I've been doing about near a 1,000 tubs a day. Right, wow. Because we are so busy. And then we've got uh, mealworms, uh, 500 grams in our bags for us. Yeah. Well, I do maybe 40 or maybe more in Fantastic. the day. Fantastic. Show me how this machine works then. No, I'll just put it on because it's got to clear it. Okay. Okay, so it's like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. There's a big kind of um, funnel on the top and then there's some conveyors 
and then there's some brushes so that the mealworms don't escape over the edge and when Noel presses the button in a moment it measures out the amount of mealworms and weighs them on a scales and then well here we go Noel here we do go. it we'll just press it Okay, so it's perfectly... Yes. Well, they're supposed to be 40 grams, and actually it's 42. Well, 42, 43. So that's fine, because it's okay to weigh a little bit over. But I don't let it go over that, because it's gone 42 now. Yeah. Because sometimes, if you keep doing the machine, if you just stall and go and do something else... Yeah. It'll build up in the machine, and then it'll come out maybe 45. I see. And then you've got to regulate your buttons okay to make sure that it's only about 42 and then what do you do then i put them in the tubs 40 grams and then i put a handful of bran okay so that's that's like their food that's their food yeah yes and then the lid's breathable yes you just put the lids on then on top okay and then off they go so then off to go into the dispatch okay do a dose and i'll just follow along and then i'll i'll leave you right you are heather That's the build up, so I don't. I take them out, I don't let them. 42 is fine. 42 is fine, yes. No more. See, that's 42, that's fine. uh, And there she goes. She'll do that until we've done all the orders, and they'll go out first class at the end of the day. Thank you, Noel, very much. Right, I'm outside now, and I can just see Farmer Phil. So I'll run over and see what's happening in the cow shed. Here he is, and he'll join me and just give me a, an overview of what's going on. Woo! Morning, Farmer Phil. Morning, Heather. How I'm, are you? I'm fine. I'm doing a snapshot tour of Wiggly Wigglers on a Friday morning. So I was hoping you'd share with us what's going on on the farm this morning. Well, we haven't had a very good start this morning so far. We, we've um, had a, a dead calf that we've had to operate on to get it out of the cow. Oh, no. Um, we think the cow will be all right, but sadly the calf obviously was dead. Don't know why. I think it probably died in the cow um, prior to calving. Um, and then that's where the problems start. It was probably something wrong with it that was nothing that we could do about it. But we have to sort of pick up the pieces afterwards. So we've sorted that out and we're um, doing pre-movement tests, pre-movement TB tests on uh, a group of 27 calves which are due to move on to William Will Morgan's to, to be fattened and that's a new regulation that's come in now recently that we have to TB test every animal over 42 days old before it's moved from the farm. And is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? If it had much impact on the incidence of TB in cattle, I'd say it was a good thing. But since, as yet, there is no measures to control TB in the wildlife population, I see it as a fairly pointless activity, which is quite dangerous because the cattle don't like it and they're young and rough and you know, there's a potential to be injured. Well, in and fact, course, the chap near to here was actually killed wasn't he he was yeah a couple of weeks ago he was tagging um slightly older animal than ours yeah but it did demonstrate the fact that the stress of handling these cows and, and bulls in in the handling system sometimes it tips them over the edge and it is potentially very dangerous so for the farmer it brings really hassle does it and cost 
Does it bring pressure because there's that never knowing whether or not you're going to test positive? There is that. I mean, for, for, for us, because we're touch wood clear of TB at the moment, there isn't quite so much pressure. But if we were to go down with TB, that immediately gives us a problem because we've got to find food for animals that we wouldn't normally have to find food for. Or we go through a whole load of legislation to actually get a licence to make another premises part of our premises, if you see what I mean, so that we can work it that way. So is the only person that's benefiting the vet? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it would be uh, wrong to accuse the vets of everything because for the vast majority of them this was legislation. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying uh, that. But having said that, it represents a significant proportion of their income and the more TB testing that goes on, the more more income for them. It should also be stressed that the pre-movement testing, this testing of, of... animals prior to moving the cost is borne by the farmer it's not a government funded test like the annual tb test that we do the whole herd that the government pays for that anything else we pay for and so what's your answer as the farmer on the ground you're obviously going to be biased but i'm not biased in as much that my my argument is that a, a badger with tuberculosis is a sick badger it's no good to them yeah so that any route that gets the TB out of the badgers coupled with getting TB out of the cattle has to make sense. I would go along with all the testing as long as we include the wildlife in the the whole plan to eradicate it. Whilst we don't include the wildlife I see no way of eradicating it. Okay, moving on to a more positive note. Lined up in front of us looking like sort of models are the bulls well for the boys today (laughs) is the day right today is the very day that they look forward to all year because today the 23rd of march is the day that equates with calving starting on the 1st of january Ah. so today is the day it's a love fest (laughs) the boys are going to swing into action (laughs) how appropriate just just look at the yeah. looks on their faces. Okay, so who have we got here? There you've got Nabob, or N4. N4 Nabob. And he has got, dear listener, the loveliest, curliest hairdo I have ever seen. He's the kind of, um, well, what, what's that tennis player's name? Oh, yeah, Andy Murray of <laughs> Bulls, isn't he? <laughs> he's, he's quite laid back, he is. He, he's quite quiet and diffident. He and... That one, which is N18, or notable. Okay, so that's another white-looking one. Charolais. Yeah, Charolais. All, all three of these Charolais came from the same farm. Right. And so Nabob and Notable are the same age yep. and came from the same group, although they're not brothers. But, I mean, Notable hasn't got a hairdo. No, well, he's different breeding. Okay. So that he's rather swish and, yes. and quite pleased with himself. Yeah. Um, he also has quite a feisty character. Right. He um, lets you know who's boss. And this one? This is Adin, who is the latest latest addition to the to the team. He looks much smaller. Yeah, well, he's that much younger. He's right. at Rising 3 this year. Okay. And, and he uh, got a few cows in. We've just had a couple of his calves now recently, his first calves. So this will be his first proper season now. Um, and so he's the junior member of the uh, French contingent. Yeah. And then then over here. (laughs) Now this is class. This is much better. I mean, this isn't a Hereford, 
sadly, because I'm convincing, trying to convince Farmer Phil he should be having herpes, but I can even scratch his nose. Who's this? This is Penguin Quarter, and as you can see, he's obviously trendy. He has the messed up hairdo. <laughs> um, yes. he's, he's had his hair in the gel pot, I think. <laughs> um, he has the attitude to match. Right. Um, He's not much older than Adin. He's only 12 months older than Adin. Well, listener, he has got to be half the size again. At least. Yeah. But, so he's, he's a little bit like the maturing teenager. Yeah. He has slightly yobbish tendencies. He is, um, because he's halter broken, he's mostly tame. Yeah. Which has its advantages, but has more disadvantages because he has no respect at all. He so won't. he's an Aberdeen Angus. He's a purebred Aberdeen Angus. And why has he got bits rubbed off the top of his back? Well, this is back. the time of year when they change their coat. Right. And they lose their winter coat and it peels off in big fistfuls of fur. Yeah. And they get incredibly itchy. Right. They will do anything to get it off. And what's happened there is that he's scratched his top knot yeah. on the rails of the pen and has rubbed the winter coat out. If you look at Notable here, he's got very little of his winter coat left. Oh, yeah. Why he's looking he's so a sick. smooth boy. And once, once the boys get in amongst the girls, the girls will actually take the rest of the winter coat off for them. Ah. So that they'll clean them up, smarten them up, as, as you girls have a wont to do. <laughs> right, let's move on, because we have to do a snapshot of what's going on all over the place. So, should we go around this way? Yeah. Okay, so we're just going by the... JCB and here we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine bags of Bakashi. Okay, so what's it doing at the moment? It's just finishing its fermenting. This lot actually has finished fermenting and right. is ready to go onto the drying floor as soon as we've finished the batch which is currently on the drying floor. Um, so that's that's ready to go. That's our stock. So because how many tons is there then? There's about three tons there ready to dry yeah um, and because now is the, the time of year when everybody's going composting yeah that's what it's there for right I'm just stopping off with Dan who works with Jody. Dan just give us a brief overview of what you're up to old boy um, basically I'm bagging up some indigo wheat ready to sell out to it um, so the dispatch people can send it out basically. fantastic brilliant thank you very much we'll move on and see Kevin Hello, Morning. here I am, Kev and Dick. Just, just give us a brief overview of what you're up to. You seem to be well, he's lost. He's floor. doing nothing. <laughs> so. They only employ me because I've got long legs and I can actually get over the bags. Kev keeps well, that makes, that makes a challenge because I've only got short ones. So. What Dad, are you doing? <laughs> What, what is this? Is this the right, store? This is our store for all the different seeds which we use for the mixes. So this uh, is raw material before you've bagged it up? That's correct, yes, in different uh, bags, some of which are useful and some which slippery and slide off, which and, Kevin will explain to you. And, what, and you've got a recipe book here. That's right, I have... Is uh, this the Jamie Oliver seed? recipe book? <laughs> oh. oh, no, this is better than Jamie Oliver. You, you ask any bird and yeah. they'll tell you this is better than Jamie. Okay, so... Give us a, a breakdown of, say, Wiggly Huskless. What's in it, Dick? Right, so you've got broken peanuts. Yep. That's peanuts that's shelled and broken up. Uh, sunflower hearts, which yep. birds love. Yeah. Pinhead oats, that's right. nice and fine, little, little birds like that. White millet. Yeah. Uh, canary and cut maize. But they're all in different amounts. So and you can't say what those amounts are? No, oh, this is secret. trade secret, definitely. <laughs> 
I don't know. <laughs> and what are you bagging up today? Today I'm doing Wiggly Seed, uh, Wiggly Seed Extra, and possibly a worm mix, but I doubt we'll get there, but uh, we'll see anyway. And, and Kev, what are you on today? Same as I usually am. What's that? Cows. <laughs> <laughs> Feeding, looking after Feeding, them. littering. Very good. And have you done it this morning? Because it's now 10 to 10. I haven't started yet. Oh, honestly. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I've been delayed this morning. So Why is that? Huh? Why is that? Open your husband. Oh, I know. He's had a bit of a problem with the calf, hasn't he? Right, yeah. onward. <laughs> okay, so now we're walking along the backyard. And there's a pile here of... Um, well, there's a big bag hung up. What's going on here? Well, now that we're not allowed to burn our plastic waste, um, in, in, in that case, bale of twine and net wrap off the bales of straw, yeah. we have to collect it up together and we're storing it at the moment. I'm hoping, ultimately, to use it as fuel, but ostensibly we have to pay a waste collection agency to come and take it away. Right. And so now we come to the exciting bit, cows and calves. Right, well in front of you you've got two groups of cows and calves. Yep. On your left are our heifers, so these are the cows with their first calves and they're all by penguin, which is why they're all black. Yeah. And so these are um, two and a half to three year old cows, heifers, yep. with their first calves. And how old are the calves? Well the calves vary, but some of them were born in January and the youngest is about three weeks old in this pen. There are still two or three more of them to carve, yep. but we've carved most of them now. Um, we've had a couple of hiccups, but you would expect hiccups with heifers. You know, they have their own problems. They're not as experienced as the cows. Um, but having said that, we're very pleased and the calves look fit and well. We've, we've had a little bit of pneumonia, um, but nothing that we haven't been able to, to get on top of quite quickly. And why is there a cage over there where only calves can get into? Well, the reason for that is that in a minute when we put the bulls in, there'll be a certain amount of rampaging around. Yeah. And that area is a safe haven, if you like, for the calves to lie in. And we try and keep it extra clean so that they want to lie in it. Yeah. And they will go and lie down in there and it stops them getting trodden on, basically. Yeah. And it's particularly useful with the youngest calves who tend to sleep quite deeply. And they, they are sort of largely immune to the idea of things charging around the shed and you and i as is our ilk over a cup of tea last evening we're talking about the advantages of yorkshire boarding <laughs> and, <laughs> what a and fascinating bar- life we yeah, do lead. and barn building Absolutely. and i was saying how i hated most english barns because the design of them was particularly not pleasing but that our barns were okay because they had wooden shuttering and you said Yorkshire boarding is more than just wooden shuttering. Yorkshire boarding is very clever. For those who don't know, it is vertical planks nailed on the side of the building with small gaps between them. Yeah. And the idea is that they provide ventilation as well as shelter. Yeah. And the interesting bit is that the width of the gap between the planks is the same as the thickness of the planks. So if the plank is an inch thick, the gap is an inch wide. Right. And the reason for that is that Although it looks as if it's largely see-through, very little, if any, rain goes through that wall, but the warm air that the cattle produce can get out of the building, which is critical to trying to minimise pneumonia problems. The idea of ventilation in a cattle yard is you have as much ventilation as you can, but no draughts. And that's why we have solid walls at the bottom, 
so the animals can lie down in a draft-free environment, but above them, the hot air can get away. Right. And did you come up with this design, or is this what everyone has? Yorkshire Boarding, by its nature, by its name, I think was designed somewhere up, up in Yorkshire. The design of this cattle yard we came up with it's got a single pitch roof, the front is open. The idea is that the majority of the warm air goes straight up the roof and straight out into the open. And they've got a lovely view. And they've got a nice view. And then in the sun, because it's south facing, yeah. most of the day the sun shines into the shed, which they like, it's good for them, and it keeps the shed drier. So that's our design. It's a cow conservatory. If you like. Okay. Now, oh no. Okay, listener, now we've come across. A very, very, very gory scene. Um, well, it's a calf that is looks fully formed and actually is in three pieces. Well, very briefly, what appears to have happened here is that we've got a, a large, healthy calf. Yeah. But for whatever reason, we think that it died in the cow. Now, there's any number of reasons that that might have happened. Yeah. Um, when I checked her first thing this morning... There was a little bit of blood coming out the back end so that at that point I checked manually to see what's going on yeah. and I discovered that at that point she wasn't particularly thinking she was carving but one of its front legs was not presented properly, it was back so that prevented her carving even if she wanted to and yeah. the calf was dead. As to what order it had all happened in, difficult to tell. Um, I can make stories up that make me feel better but the net result is we do our best and it didn't work. The problem then is, because the calf has died, yeah. the amniotic fluid that it, it sits in in the cow almost immediately starts to lose its lubricating value and it goes watery. And that means that in calving the cow, I'm running a severe risk of damaging the cow because there's no slippery. Yeah. And what happened was that I got the front half of the calf out, but I couldn't get the rear half, and I decided that because the calf was dead... I wasn't going to risk damaging the cow, so we get the vet here and effectively we cut the calf into three pieces so that we can get it out of the cow without damaging her, which is what we've done. And but it that's is, really horrible and unpleasant. And it is very unpleasant, but hopefully the cow will be fine. I'd much sooner that than to have manhandled the calf out of the cow and then had a cow who was terminally damaged or couldn't get up she hasn't got up yet, but I'm confident that she will. Yeah. Um, Do you get used to this sort of thing? Because, I mean, I've come around the corner and I can honestly say that, well, it's just awful, isn't it? You hmm. can see, well, you can see death, not, but not only death, you can see a lack of respect in the sense that it's chopped up, you, you know? It, 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 to me, it has depressing connotations on all levels. Yeah. You know? I've, the particular cow is one that I struggled to get her in calf last year. I gave her a chance, she had a rest, she got in calf, yeah. and she's produced me probably the best calf she's ever likely to yeah. have produced. So that we've waited 18 months for this moment and it's all gone wrong. Yeah. So it's depressing on that level. It's depressing that it was a cracking calf and it would have gone on and been great. Yeah. It's depressing that we've had the blood and guts of yeah. dealing with it in this fashion. And then finally, it's depressing on a, on a on an economic basis. Yeah. That you know, I've given the cow a chance. She's delivered the goods, and then it's gone wrong for her and me, and that's potentially, you know, another four hundred pounds income gone down the, the, the drain. 
So and how much would you have paid for the vet this morning? That will have cost me another 50 to 100 pounds depending on how she bills me. And how will you deal with the cow that's down? Um, because it's really drastic if a cow's down, it is. isn't it? But she, the, the, the good thing is that because I got to her before we even started calving, I know how long the calf was in the birth canal and it's yeah. that time that's critical. She has the use of both her back legs. The reason I'm not trying very hard to get her up at the moment is that we gave her an epidural, oh, yeah. which effectively anaesthetizes the last bit of the spine and it also stops her contractions. Now, I don't particularly want to try and get her up while the effects of that are still uh, there because it makes them very wobbly. Yeah. And if she loses her confidence, she won't try. Yeah. So I'm happy that she's comfortable. She's sitting in the middle of the yard. She's bright. And as the epidural wears off, she'll try and get up. She's tried to get up a little bit now. She's felt, you know, she's moving around a little bit. Is she bit. in here? She's in the, the yard that we've just gone by. Okay. So that I'm, I'm comfortable that she'll be all right and I'm comfortable that we've done the best given the situation but that doesn't detract from the depression that so far I've not had a very good morning <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, and has that then delayed your feeding it has delayed the feeding because so does that mean they're all hungry because no, they don't sound hungry we've given them their meal so oh, I that see. it's delayed us starting the, the hay and, and litter but we'll catch up with that that's that's not a big problem yeah um we we usually if it's not one thing, it's another in terms of sorting out what the morning brings. And okay, that's a real disaster, and I can't remember the last time that happened here. Can you? We would have a small percentage each year. Right. You know, it would be naive to suggest that we can uh, have a herd of 150 breeding cows yeah. and not have the occasional problem. Yeah. To me, the more important thing is how we deal with those problems and that we take the best route both in terms of the welfare of the animals concerned yeah. and combine that with the business aspect and come up with the right answer. Well, yeah. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, I, I believe and hope that we do and it's the, it's the sort of decision that we you go over it in your mind so that you keep revisiting it and deciding, you know, was that my fault? Could I have done something differently? Could it have worked out better? And, and that's the important bit. Yeah. So now <laughs> we're just going into. Uh, we've just walked past um, Pip's uh, department, and Pip's not here. Um, but we've walked into our new dispatch, which, as you can probably hear from the echo, is completely empty. But it is a fair transformation, isn't it? It's lovely. Tell us what this building was briefly. Well, I've got photos of this building um, in between the two wars, so sort of between 1918 and 1935 so it was built prior to that and what it was was a piggery right and the idea was that you had pigs in pens probably within the building and then they would have had an open yard behind the building to run out into right that may not have been the initial use for it it may have been a cow shed but I think looking at it it was probably designed as a piggery so it's quite low it's got a round um, roof, you know, a curved roof. And interestingly, it had got a pine lining to the roof, which is what it would have needed for a piggery to help insulate it. Um, and I think in its day, it was state-of-the-art. And any good for your farm now? It's difficult for, a, for, for farming purposes because it's not tall enough so that we can't get a lot of machinery into it. 
and it's you know of no consequence as a cattle yard it's not really big enough and the structure of it isn't good enough really it's 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 ripe for for conversion to something useful so perfect wiggly building absolutely perfect <laughs> thank you farmer phil i'm going to catch up now with um ricky just on my way i'll i'll ring the fire bell they'll know it's not real <laughs> only joking and um yeah we'll see you later Bye. go and have a cup of tea and cheer up Okay, I'm just now, just coming into dispatch. In here, um, we store all the product. I'm just moving in to see Wendy and Ricky and uh, just ask them what they're doing. If I can catch up with Wendy. Hi, Wend. Hi. Uh, I'm just doing a snapshot of Wiggly Wigglers at this time. So it's now five past 10, 23rd of March. We've heard about a calf that's had to be chopped up inside a cow. We've heard about Kevin, who's behind his schedule, Dick, who's making wiggly seed, and I'm catching up with you. What What are you doing? I'm packing parcels for the post. Oh, okay. Sending out live mealworms. So this would normally be normally be Syl's job. It would. And she's, she's on, on holiday. Okay. So Noel, we've seen Noel, or we've heard Noel putting the mealworms into tubs, so now you're getting them out. I'm, well, I'm not getting them out of the tubs. I'm actually putting the tubs into boxes. Okay. Putting them together with the orders. Yep. Putting them through the machine and yeah. packing them in bags to go out for the post. Is that satisfying then? Because you get, do you, you know, what, what... Well, yes, because you get a pile of orders. Yeah. And when you get them out, you think, oh, great, I've done that. Yeah. And do you ever think about the person at the other end? Don't usually have time. No. Well, let's have a look then. So this is John Hayden. We won't give his address, but he's in Leicester. Yeah. And he's having... Well, what's he having? He's having... Three tubs of mealworms live, and then because he's ordered those three tubs, he's having three tubs free. Ah, and he's why is that? Also having uh, one of our current wiggly bird delis. Oh, I see. Okay, and his live mealworms free. They're for his neighbour, aren't they? I think oh. they're to give his neighbour. Thank you, Wendy. I'm going to catch up with Ricky. Here she is. Rick, what are you up to? I'm packing empowered composters. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, so valley Which- packs. Yes, of which is one of our new composting systems and going to Mr. Fulton. There we are. And how many parcels are you going to get out today? About 70 or 80. Go for it, girl. Yes. Thank you very much. You're a star. Now, just a little bit of feedback we've had on the Wiggly podcast last week, and that's from John Harding. And he says, you know, we mentioned about the yellow, um, the yellow feeders that the uh, goldfinch is like. He says... Shropshire goldfinches also love the feeder and he sent me two fantastic pictures of goldfinches feeding on that feeder so I'll put those up on my blog and that's at wigglywigglers.blogspot.com and Sally Anthony says about the slugs the slugs caused a bit of debate if you really want to get rid of slugs encourage frogs there we are so that's a snapshot view of Wiggly Wigglers at five past ten on the 23rd of March. As usual, there's some real positives, there's some real negatives, but most of all, there's lots of fun going on. Bye from me.